The second reading is taken from Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good afternoon, everybody. It's lovely to be here. I think I know most of you, but if you don't know me, my name's Matt Bennington. I'm a member of staff here, um, particularly responsible for our music, um, which is one of the reasons I was so keen to speak to you today, as that's part of our passage uh, in Colossians. Um, but really, the, the theme of the whole passage is the theme of, of chapter 3 of the book of Colossians, um, which is, what is the, the life of the church to be? What should the people of God look like? Now, I imagine you all came today with certain expectations of what might happen during our 4 p.m. service, uh, sing some hymns and say some prayers, um, take communion a bit later on. You probably had expectations for what might happen afterwards, hopefully a nice um, cup of tea and a a good chance to catch up with with friends. But Paul here in, in this chapter and indeed our verses today is addressing not just about the functions of a service, but the hearts and the minds of the people of God. If you've been at the 4pm in recent weeks, then you might remember uh, back at the start of chapter 3, Paul was encouraging God's people to to change their focus, uh, switching their minds off the things of this world and onto the things of God. And then he was encouraging people to change their habits, to put to death the behaviour that belongs to this world, and instead to be clothing ourselves with deeds that are befitting of being, how Paul describes, God's chosen people. Paul here is is painting a picture for us of what a united, gathered people, of group of believers should look like. An otherwise disparate bunch of people, now united together in love of Christ and love for one another. And so our passage today deals with three more characteristics of a united church. So we're going to work through each verse in turn from that second reading from Colossians chapter 3. Three more distinctives that we should expect to see in a people who are living with Christ as Lord. And so firstly, verse 15, we see a Christ-given peace. A Christ-given peace. Let me read verse 15 again for us. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Now that word peace is used uh, in all sorts of uh, different ways. Uh, Perhaps you enjoy a bit of peace and quiet. Um, If you're a parent of young children like me, even five minutes peace uh, is is helpful sometimes. Uh, Perhaps you've been to a church service where we say peace be with you. Perhaps you 
remember from decades uh, before when war was over and peacetime was here. We can make peace, can't we? We can keep the peace or speak now or forever hold our peace. So what sort of peace is Paul talking about here? Well, there's actually a clue from earlier in Paul's letter to the Colossians. He said back in chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that is Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So the origins of the peace that Paul wants to let rule our hearts is that which comes from God, namely the salvation that is found in the Lord Jesus. You see, in dying on the cross, Christ reconciled people to God. It is by his blood that we are forgiven, and so we can have absolute confidence in being loved and accepted by God. In other words, through Christ, we are at peace with God. That is the peace that Paul longs for believers to grasp. And then by doing so, that would lead on to peace between one another. Did you see that in the second half of verse 15? Paul says, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. I think it follows, doesn't it? If we have been reconciled to our Heavenly Father, to God, in his eternal throne through Christ, then then why then should we not be able to live at peace with each other? Paul said this just a few verses earlier in chapter 3. He said, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. You see, Paul is, is saying now that all who trust in Christ are one and the same. There is no longer any difference. All of those things that previously might have divided people, their race, political views, social or economic status, and so on, well, they're all done away with because Christ has brought peace to all. We naturally find it easy, don't we? I know I do, to feel uneasy sometimes with other people, to find reasons to be, to be divided. It's obvious to say, isn't it, that our country and indeed our world at the moment continues to be very split on big issues like Brexit and climate change and immigration. And there'll be smaller, more local, personal reasons that we might have to feel disunited with others around us. Perhaps worth taking a moment for ourselves now to think through what that might be, what it, what it is that might prevent us from living in peace with others perhaps a different viewpoint on something, an interest that we don't share, a decision that we don't agree with. But Paul says to us, instead, let the peace of Christ rule in us for unity in the gospel to reign over us. That's the first thing we see from these verses about what a church should look like. So the second thing is there in verse 16. And that is, A group of people should be full of Christ-centred singing. Christ-centred singing. I'm not embarrassed to admit at all uh, that as music minister here, I was delighted to have the chance today to speak on this this passage because 
first 16 of chapter 3, it's one of the key verses for me in my understanding of what our singing, what I hope it should be like here at Christchurch. Let me read verse 16 again. Paul says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. I read a verse earlier from chapter 1 that said God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. Well, what Paul is describing here is that for the message of Christ, that is his words, that is the, the gospel message, well, that is to dwell now in God's people, just as the fullness of God dwells in Christ. So God wants the fullness of Christ to dwell in his people. So how's that to happen? Well, it's partly as we teach and admonish one another. Now, admonish, I think, is a funny, funny kind of word. We don't use it so often in general conversation these days. But it has that, that sense of gently correcting one another, gently turning people away from, from the bad, from the sin, um, to obedience, to, to good. And that will happen partly as we uh, preach on Sundays through our small group Bible studies, partly in the conversations that we have with one another as we share struggles and joys. But also, this verse says, it will partly happen as we sing. You see, verse 16 isn't really a bunch of separate ideas. Actually, it's all one big connected sentence that the teaching and admonishing is connected to the times of singing. Now, I wonder if that's something that you've thought about before. I'm sure that we've all thought about our singing in church as being directed to God, singing praises to him, and it, and it most certainly is that, and you see that in the verse 2 at the end, singing to God. But also this verse implies a more sort of horizontal nature to our times of corporate singing. So what might that look like then in, in this context? Well, just imagine for a moment that someone uh, sitting here this afternoon is feeling particularly conscious of sin, perhaps condemned, feeling far from God. Can God really forgive me? Does he still love me? Well, imagine then how it might be for that person to hear the words of the hymn that we're going to sing in just a minute. Here is love, vast as the ocean. On the Mount of Crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love, like mighty rivers, poured incessant from above. And heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. You see how singing a song like that, when you're coming, feeling condemned, is a great way to be corrected, to have your mind affected, your emotions changed from doubting God's mercy and love but to be reminded of the truths of the gospel, not just to sing them to your, in yourself, but to have others around you singing them to one another, reminding ourselves, encouraging one another to remember these truths of the gospel. So they're a great way to sing and remind and correct each other. But singing is also a great way of declaring our unity together. If you consider a, an event that our queen might attend and people join in to sing the national anthem. Well, it's a very visible declaration, isn't it, of unity under her authority as a nation. 
Or taking a, take a sporting event, like an international cricket match or a football match. It is hugely uniting for the fans in the crowd watching to sing songs in support of their favourite team. Well, how much more then should it unite us as God's people as we sing together in church? And notice there in verse 16 that there will be a variety of types of song that we'll sing together. Paul lists psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, it's impossible to know quite what Paul had in mind when he was making that list, but it's clear to say that there will be a range of styles and themes and types of songs that will, uh, that will be evident as people gather to, together. Now, it's obvious reading through the book of Psalms, which in many ways is God's hymn book, that there is a range of, of songs to sing, from psalms of deep despair and lament to songs of great joy and praise, like Psalm 47, which we said together just a few minutes ago. And it also makes sense that there should be a variety of styles to the music, different instruments to be used, different tunes to sing. Because if, if God is calling together a people from every tribe and nation throughout the entirety of human history, well, then it must be possible to praise God in a whole variety of ways whether you're accompanied by bongos or an organ, accompanied by a harp or a lyre or a trumpet or a guitar. So we should expect to have a variety of songs to sing. But the thing that should unite all of those songs when we sing together, what should be true of all of them, is that they should be, should be full of God's word. That we should be full of truths about God, rooted in scripture, like the Psalms that Paul lists like songs from the Spirit, inspired by his word. And it is when we do that, that we should expect the message of Christ to, as it says at the start of the verse, to dwell in us richly. To dwell in us richly. You probably know that, that music has an incredible power, I think unlike anything else, to stay with people, to lodge in your heart and mind. My grandmother is 92 years young, and often when we chat now, she, she speaks about her, her past, her, her life, particularly when she was younger. And she can still belt out with great gusto the songs that she listened to back in her youth, word for word, note for note. They have remained with her for, through the decades. And if her legs were more up to it, she would happily get up and show you the moves from the dance halls too. I expect if we were to put some of the songs from your childhood over the speakers you'd be surprised about how much you remember of them. Music has that power to dwell within us. And Paul, therefore, expects that to be happening as we sing hymns together. Not just for us, not just for, to, for them to rem remain in us, but that they would dwell richly in us. I think that word richly there has a sense of bearing fruit in our lives, making an impact on how we live, which shows the importance, doesn't it, that the, the songs that we sing are full of the gospel, it is vital that we are singing truth so that in the course of our lives, these truths stick with us, remind us, encourage us, and correct us. So when we sing them in church, let us sing them in praise to God, but also eager to encourage one another, declaring our unity together in Christ. So we've seen two things so far. The people of God should know Christ given peace, express itself with Christ-centered singing, 
And finally, more more briefly, though not less importantly, we should be full of Christ-focused thankfulness. Paul said at the end of verse 15 that we should be thankful. And again at the end of verse 16. And now in verse 17, he really spells this message out for us. Paul says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I've noticed as I've got older, and I'm not that old yet, so I've been going a long way in this negative direction, but um, I've noticed an increasing tendency to, to concentrate on the things that are difficult, that are, that are hard in life, and not as I would like, and not on the many, many things that are good and wonderful to enjoy. I see in myself a, a pull to be selfish, to do things for my own sake, not for God or for others. Well, this final verse of our passage today speaks against all of that. Instead, Paul commands us, the Lord Jesus commands us, to be thankful in all things. Whatever we do, we are to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Doing things in the name of the Lord Jesus, it means living lives to seek his glory above our own. And it means being grateful. It means being grateful for all that he has given us and done for us in the small things and the big things. And really the biggest thing, the biggest thing is the Lord Jesus. See, the cross means that we should have a daily gratitude for what he has done in his work of salvation. The message of the cross should be, it should be like a breeze, a breeze that blows through however else we may be feeling. And it should be like a prism through which we see the rest of life. When we are living lives in the name of Jesus, then we will be increasingly see everything as a gift to be thankful for. We've been reading this book together as a staff team. Uh, it's a book called Destiny by a chap called David Gibson. I think he's a minister up in Scotland. It's been a brilliant, challenging book um, to read. He, he goes through the book of Ecclesiastes, which some of you uh, may know. And he's trying to help people to, to live lives that are shaped by the certainty of death and the reality of eternal life to come with God. And in it he says this, there is a way of looking at the world which sees God's goodness gifted to us and which causes us to live with constant wonder at his daily provision. There is another way of living which feels constantly slighted by God and others and which becomes a greenhouse for bitter roots to flourish. When we are not grateful for the little things, it is only a very short step to no longer being grateful for anything. When we do not enjoy and savour and love and laugh and delight in the little things, then we are heading towards losing our delight in anything. Tough, but I think very accurate words. I wonder if you see that danger in in yourselves. I know I do. You see, thankfulness is one of the great distinctives of being a Christian. Not just that we enjoy the gifts that God gives us every day, as indeed everyone could, but because we can be thankful to the one who gives them to us, because we know our heavenly Father, our generous, loving, kind giver. And the more we're grateful as individuals and as a church community, the more we will be united together 
as our hearts are turned away from ourselves and increasingly turned towards Christ. So three marks there for us to aspire to be as a church family. To know Christ-given peace, to enjoy Christ-centred singing, and to be full of Christ-focused thankfulness. There are three things that God has given his people through Jesus. And our command today is to let those things rule and fuel our hearts. Not to be drawn to things that will draw us away from each other, but instead to let peace and gratitude bind us together in unity as God's dearly loved people. Let me pray as we close. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you above all things for the Lord Jesus, for his death and resurrection, for the forgiveness that we have in him of our sins and the hope of new life to come. We thank you that we have the message of that gospel in your word and we pray that through knowing it more and more we would know the peace that you give us, peace that is there for us between one another as well, that it would fuel us to sing with praise to your name, to encourage each other, and to be thankful, Lord, for Jesus and for all the good things that you give us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.